the Unfree Parents Podcast, episode 045. You're seen to chat about life, family, and of course, Humphreys McGee. I'm Sarah Jaginiak, podcast host, writer, mom of three, wife, and total Umfree. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. Um, I hope you were able to check out last week's show, a little recap of the spectacular two nights at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, March 29th and 30th. There is a link in the show notes where you can check that out if you have not yet done so. And before we get into this week's show, which will recap the recent two nights in Aspen, Colorado at the Belly Up, as well as the band's appearance at the Apres Festival, also in Aspen, I want to mention the announcement that came recently from Jake's other band, Alibaba's Tahini, their new album, Bottom Feeders, their fifth full-length album, will be available early summer on vinyl and will be also on Spotify and iTunes. I am super, super excited for this to listen to it. The album art is absolutely beautiful. If you've not seen it, um, you know, I'll link everything in the show notes, but definitely look at the, the cover of it is just beautiful. Um, there's not an actual release date of it yet. So when I hear when that's going to be, I will absolutely pass it along to you guys. And we'll be doing a special ABT episode in promotion for the new album closer to the release date. That's going to be super fun. So be on the lookout for that. And as I said, I'll put the links for um, Alibaba's social media um, as well as anything else that I can find, some videos or whatever, Um, So you guys can check them out if you have not. And if you are not aware of this, um, a lot of Umphrey's tunes that you know and love, such as 40s, Got Your Milk, Kabump, Mulches, Nothing Too Fancy, Resolution, and Ringo, to name a few, are actually Alibaba's tunes. Um, And if you dig into their catalog, there are some albums that you will find the early versions of that of those tunes. So you're definitely going to want to check them out if you have not, for sure. All right, so let's get into these Aspen shows. April 3rd, the first night at the Belly Up, this very intimate venue that holds 450 people for a GA show. That is it. Um, that just seems super amazing to me, and I still cannot get over how close you can be. I was not at these shows, unfortunately, um, but, you know, videos and watching stuff in the past when they've been there, it just, it blows my mind that you can be that close. Um, Umphreys has played 19 shows at the Belly Up, including these two shows here. They first played at that venue on January 22nd, 2010, and then began doing two-night runs there in 2012, March 7th and March 8th, and then doing a three-night run last year, March 7th, 8th, and 9th, And they've only ever played one other venue in Aspen called Double Diamond, 
which was actually their first visit to the city July 17th, 2003. The first set opens with Push the Pig getting really filthy in its jam slightly after five minutes in, Joel leading the way for a few, and I'm going to say this right now, Joel's really the MVP in this first night. So many times, it's just had these really, really stellar parts. Um, it's definitely going to be talking a lot about Joel in this episode. Um <laughs> It comes down for a minute, but it just continues to dance along. And then Joel again coming back out before moving it back into Push the Pig. A really killer way to start the night and to start this two-night runoff. Not stopping and moving very, 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 like just sliding right into the fussy Dutchman. Just, it's beautiful, the segue in there. It, definitely going to want to listen to that seamlessness. It's beautiful. This fussy Dutchman features a beautiful Bayless solo coming to light about four and a half in, slowly unfolding and bursting open, carrying the end of the jam back into fussy. Wappy Sprayberry coming up next, sinking into its jam at four minutes, heads right off into its adventure, very full of confidence throughout the entire jam, bringing it down a little bit in terms of the intensity slightly before eight minutes, but keeping the momentum still going for a little bit before it starts to flow out dreamingly. Love it when they do that at the, you know, in there and just kind of like let it fade out. But the pieces of Wappy are aggressively but slowly building up behind it. And it comes bursting right out and just resonating this energy all over. Just I love the intensity that is Wappy. That is just, it's, it's bold and I love it. Intentions clear next and... Throughout this show, and I mean, obviously, if you're an Umphreys fan, you know the intimateness of the belly up, and you can hear it throughout the show, um, but in this intentions, you can really, really hear it. You can, you know, with their, the singing and the fans, and I just, I love that. This intentions sinks right into improv slightly before five minutes. Stasic making it funky throughout this entire section. Even after they bring it down for a minute around the eight minute mark, they pick it right back up and send it right down that same funky adventure. Stasic having a very like shakedown street bass kind of sound to him throughout this. I love that sound. And I mean, you, I'm, you know what tongue I'm talking about. So I just, that sound is great. It starts to open up a few minutes later and we get another hopeful and uplifting jam and it comes down to land but goes right back to dancing along for a little bit coming down and we hear a faint roundabout tease in there as it's fading out almost like walking through this dark like foggy forest kind of I feel and then it pivots into in the black. Wow. <laughs> um, and a standalone bridges, bridgeless, excuse me, to close out the first set. It starts to get real deep in the jam about six minutes. 
Joel again coming out full about nine minutes being the leader of this jam adventure no doubt like I said Joel fucking killed it in this show it starts to gain all sorts of momentum and energy to it before it slams back into that big and bold massive ending of Bridgeless to close the first set um, I did want to mention quick, I know that that Bridgeless went out to a girl named Sarah. Um, apparently, it's an umfreak that has passed away. Um, I don't know anything about her. I've never met her. Um, I only know that information um, because actually from Mindy on Facebook mentioned it in a thread. Um, so if somebody's listening and you know her, you knew her, um, I just wanted to put that out there, give that respect to her, that memory of her. And yeah, I would love to know more about her. So if you feel like you would like to email the show and, you know, share some stories about her, um, I would, I would love to hear them. Um, but that was very thoughtful. And apparently they've done that a couple of times and, you know, a lot of people can't hear Bridgeless without thinking of her. And I think that's just really, really sweet. Moving on, set two opens with a very adventurous standalone Ocean Billy. With it all coming in at about 19 minutes, the journey deep inside really starts to lift off about seven minutes and it ventures head first, sounding a little ominous for a second, but then moves along to right into dancing. The jam coming down to cool off about 12 and a half in. And I'm going to call out Andy, who we see some serious action from a few minutes later. And meanwhile, Ocean Billy is beginning to make its appearance again. Very matter of fact. And then floating right back in this version, as I mentioned, being a standalone. And interesting fact, it's the first time Ocean Billy has been played in Aspen very surprisingly, um, when I read that fact from um, Facts on Twitter, I'll link him in the show notes. He's got just the most amazing knowledge of Umphrey's stuff. Um, I was very surprised to read that, that, that it had not been played in Aspen before. Um, Ocean Billy is another song that I feel, I mentioned this with Divisions um, previously in the last episode, that it's so great when, you know, they do sandwich it with something else. You know, they play the beginning in this set and finish it in another set. But it's one of those tunes, again, that's just great when it's together. And it's just this nice, fatty, standalone Ocean Billy. Like, sometimes it's just really nice to have it like that. Mail package coming up next. This one gets real dirty right away, of course. Slightly after two minutes. Joel again here for like the next four or five minutes just killing it I love how gritty this jam gets and how you know it's just does its own thing and then how it haphazardly goes back into mail package that tune is just always really fun to junk after that excuse me and this I will say was for me listening at home, a big highlight. I think this junk was massive. 
um, the, the jam in it, it starts to stretch its legs to head on its adventure slightly before four minutes, and it nicely builds to this little treat in the middle by the way of Jimmy Stewart with lyrics. About eight minute mark is when they come in. I'm very interested to see where these lyrics are going to go in the future. Some really great Bayless lyrics that are going to be nestled in some kind of song like Dracanon, where you have that jam in the beginning and then, you know, you float into these Bayless lyrics. I'm very excited to see what happens with those. Then it just soars off with all sorts of confidence, coming down to gently land, but snatching it right back up with the silent type coming up next. We hear a maybe someday being teased in there first at about three minutes and underneath for part of this before it ventures out and then kind of boomerangs back and starts to build back up. And then we'll see a full Maybe Someday jam coming to light and real, really building up at like six and a half and then exploding out. But they don't take it really far. They don't take it into Maybe Someday. They're almost like kind of forcing it. You can hear it. And they're like forcing it and then going back into the ending of the silent type. But quickly and almost schizophrenically stomping back into the junk, you know, at the conclusion at this uh, silent type. A cover of London Calling by The Clash, last time played January 31st, 2011, 833 shows ago. That's just an insane number. Um, Jake taking the lead on the vocals, complete with British accent while he was singing. Not too shabby at all. Slacker to close out the second set. This jam very early on, only about two minutes in, Ryan really laying down some serious funk and muddy layers of foundation before it ventures way out interstellarly for a little bit courtesy of Joel again before coming back down to earth and then into the end of slacker encore much obliged that is just going long on this really great jam and then all of a sudden like kool-aid man style comes immigrant song by led zeppelin just fucking kicking the door right in Ugh. I love Zeppelin anyways. I say that probably every episode because they're just covering so much Zeppelin. This is so good. This tune has been covered a total of 33 times, including this one here. No doubt, again, getting us all super excited for the Red Rock set in June. And it's working. It's working. Like I said, I just talked about this in the last episode. So I'm going to spare you all that. But this set with Jason Bonham is going to be out of this world. If you don't have tickets for this, I highly suggest that you get your ass there. Because it's going to be out of this world. It's just going to be amazing. Um, Anyway, (laughs) um, that cover of Immigrant Song brings the first night in Aspen to a close. Night two um, at the Belly Up, which I will admit I mentioned on Twitter 
I thought night two may be my favorite night of these two nights at the Belly Up. Mentioning that I had not yet listened to all of night two yet. But now that I have given a full listen to both nights, I will say that I'm going to change my original opinion about that. I feel that although, of course, Night 2 has some heavy hitters and really great highlights, Night 1, for me, is personally where it's at. Um, You know, my feelings of the jams in Night 1 were better, I guess. I don't know. It's it's always so hard to say, you know, which night was better than the other night because both nights or however many nights of a run are always so good. Um, But for me, night one is where it's at. And in case you are wondering, Joel in a tweet after the weekend said that he felt night two was the better night, saying he felt he overplayed on night one. But I certainly do not look at it that way. I would say he was the standout VIP from night one. Many times I mentioned um, how he was standing out in night one when I did the recap of that evening. Um, Anyway, um, I would love to know what your thoughts are. Um, You can tweet the show and use the hashtag UmfreakParents and tell me which of the nights at the belly up you prefer and why. All right, so let's dive into night two. Set one opens with a prowler that moves very nicely into second self. Looks coming up next. The first, I think, highlight from the evening, ironically, um, I'm not a fan of the lyrics of this song. Um, I think that's part of it, of why I'm not really a fan of it. Um, But musically, I love this song. Very talking heads, I think. And the way that they've been expanding this um, is what's been giving, making me take more attention into this song. This version ventures out into its adventure very early on, really diving hard into that talking heads vibe about four minutes. Stasic coming in a few minutes later and sweeping the jam in a different direction. Funkier for sure, but it changes again and starts to build back into the lyrics of looks. Not the huge expansion that we have seen from this song in the past, but still expanding it and growing it and stretching it more, um, you know, than the original version. This one has really been a lot of fun to watch as they've, you know, progressed with it and gotten more comfortable with it, and I'm sure that there's more to come for that song. Morning Song, coming up next. Interestingly, quite soon, um, the last one was recently during the Brooklyn Steel Run in February on Valentine's Day specifically. Already in 2019, seeing more plays than all of 2018, sliding that very nicely into Booth Love. And listening back to this, I thought that was an interesting segue, mostly just in terms of how I personally interpret what those two songs are about. So it was was interesting to me to have, you know, Morning Song go into Booth Love. This one sinks in slightly before six and a half, dancing along 
very seductively and full of life. And I hear a little, it doesn't matter, tease poking out nine and a half, just mixing it into the end of Booth Love. The Lanier next, diving in at about five minutes, being a little weird as it sorts out which direction it would like to go, finding its way a few minutes later and just adventuring off, starting to get some aggression, building into it about 10 minutes before just dropping about a minute later to only build back up all the pieces of that aggression from before, building it so huge and then letting it fall away and then flow right into glory to close out the first set. It was very beautiful the way that they did the segues, um, you know, in this set from Morning Song to Booth Love and having that linear into glory to close out the first set was just beautiful. Set two opens with Bright Lights Big City featuring Jason Hahn from String Cheese Incident on percussion. This being the full song, including the lyrics, not only was this the first time that we've seen Bright Lights in 2019, the last time played December 13th, 2018 at Holidays, it is also the first time since June 2nd, 2018 that we have seen this with lyrics, August 11th, 2018 at White River State Park in Indianapolis, Indiana, Bayless's birthday show was the first time we saw this tune with the explosive expansion. The jam in this is still quite impressive, heading out slightly after five minutes, and it just goes off. And I will admit, I'm not a String Cheese Incident fan, and I am not a Bright Lights Big City fan. But the jam inside of this version is so good that none of those other things even matter at all. And I think that's the biggest lesson, I guess, of all, is to always be open-minded. Like, that's how I took that, where, you know, in the past I would have been like, ugh, Jason Hahn from String Cheese and Bright Lights, you know? But no, I went into that completely open-minded, and it blew me away and I thought it was a huge highlight from the first set, uh, or for the second set, excuse me, from the sh whole show, from the whole weekend. Like, it was just stellar. Getting treated to some serious Perk World love slightly before 10 and a half. Using that as a point for liftoff into the next direction a few minutes later with it going and stretching and morphing and shape-shifting and then bursting back into bright lights. Like I said, this version definitely deserves a listen out of this world. Remind me, coming up next, starting to stretch its legs a little bit slightly before four and a half, dancing along for quite a bit of time, starting to trickle down about 11 minutes, before beginning the head first dive right into the sex metal part of the tune. Joel mentioned on Twitter after the weekend that he felt that this was his favorite version of Remind Me that the band has played. Just a little random fact there. I think it's always neat to know how the guys in the band feel 
um, after a run or a specific show. I like to know their point of view, their perspective, how they felt that they were playing in that moment or, you know, how this song or, you know, how they specifically were playing. It's always interesting to hear from it from their point of view. I am, you know, I really appreciate that Joel takes the time to not only interact with me and other people on Twitter, but that he takes the time to share his thoughts and opinions on the shows that they just played. Um, And I will actually link his Twitter in the show notes um, in case you're not already following him. Um, You can do that. Mantis next, starting its journey at about six minutes, starting out very rock and roll and then having a real radio head kind of feel to it. I felt um, throughout this entire part of the jam, leaving that mantis behind and unfinished, heading into Smell the Mitten or Smell the Kitten, thanks to the kitten videos on the background from Waffle, Bayless asking for them as they move from that mantis into Mitten. This one heading out on its own slightly before three and a half, where it forges along for a little bit, coming down in intensity, but still chugging along before stomping and meowing back into Mitten, Bayless and Jake taking their guitars and making it sound like cats meow. If you haven't listened to that, definitely listen to it because the jam inside that Mitten is definitely sick. A cover of Jessica by the Allman Brothers next, one that the band has covered a total of 58 times, last time being played June 30th, 2018 at the Stone Pony in New Jersey. From there, stepping into the conclusion of Mantis to close out the second set. And 40's theme was the encore. Before it heads into its jam, Bayless mentions that it's after midnight, making it technically Chris Meyer's birthday, who was born on April 5th. Happy belated to you, Chris. Chris getting a little birthday solo before they go right in and venturing on. And we see a Bayless solo starting to come to light slightly about 10 minutes that will burst open to expose the ending of 40s to close out the second night of this two-night run at the Belly Up. That brings us to the Apres Festival, also in Aspen, Colorado. This brand new festival happened at the base of Buttermilk Mountain at the same venue as the X Games. The three days also featured String Cheese Incident, Moon Taxi, ALO, Southern Avenue, The Main Squeeze, and others. People I chatted with that were at the show said that it was certainly different standing um, in the snow during the show. Um, Cold feet were sadly the theme of the evening, and I heard that trudging back up the hill through the slush was not an easy or fun thing to do, but a cool experience for all of those there, and I'm sure everybody had a great time. This show, because it was a festival, was just one longer set, and I know sometimes that there is some negativity around a quote-unquote festy set, but this one was not lacking in any way. 
especially them having just played the previous two nights at the Belly Up. And something I think that us fans that have been around for a while um, need to remember that at these festivals, this could very well be somebody's first Umphrey show. A majority of the people that I know and that I've interviewed, most of them credit a festival set as being when they were first exposed to Humphreys and when they really knew that seeing this band was something special. Um, so that is something that I'm trying to think about, you know, as I talk to more people and, and they say, oh, you know, this set at this festival in 09 or whatever, like really turned me on to Humphreys. So you never know what can happen for somebody at a festival. Um, this show is also the band's last gig together until April 27th at the Trondosa Music and Arts Festival in Charleston. And you know, after this little break, they are going to come out hot for that show. This show opens with Plunger, and it drops into improv slightly after nine minutes, adventuring on for a few minutes, and I'm really enjoying the expansion of Plunger lately. This, I mean, obviously you're listening to this, so you are, you know, into what they have been playing lately, and they've been really, really killing it with Plunger lately. Speak Up next, sinking into a jam for a little bit, about five minutes, not seeing a gigantic expansion with this one or the Bad Friday after it, but more giving the folks in attendance that may not be familiar with Umphreys a little taste of what those songs are capable of. The aforementioned Bad Friday coming up next, followed by a cover of When the World is Running Down, You Make the Best of What's Still Around by the police. The band has played this song 45 times, including this one here, last time October 4th, 2018 in Kansas City, Missouri. I've said this before. Um, I'll say it again. I think that the police are a great band for Umphreys to cover. This song specifically is a great one for them. And I think it's because, I mean, not only Bayless sings the police so well. But I also think that songs like this give them a jumping point and a huge canvas for them to create, you know, this jam and, and make it their own. And now I will hear songs that I would like them to cover. And I think about that now, you know, at the end of some sort of classic rock song. For example, I'll use Goodbye Stranger by Supertramp. I want them to cover that so badly. If you are familiar with that tune, the ending of that song is specifically where it's just Umphreys. If you're not familiar with that song, do yourself a favor and listen to Goodbye Stranger from Supertramp and tell me that they wouldn't kill that. And the ending of that song just gives them so much space to jam and adventure on into something else. So that's very cool when they play songs like that. They head into Puppet String being one of the four songs in the evening that they allowed to really stretch in this set. This one begins to venture out about four and a half, dancing along seductively 
and sweet and full of confidence and hopefulness. A few minutes later, about eight and a half, you can start to hear the beginning of it starting to move in a different direction. And we hear the pieces of puppet string start to be gathered up and then stepping right back in. A not extended attachment coming out next, meaning we do not see the jam that we've been getting at the ending of this one since the huge attachments of 2018 on August 18th in St. Augustine. The last time an attachments was played without the adventure connected to the tail end of it was July 20th, 2018 at the Peach Festival. And that version also featured the turquoise horns. Love when they put the horns in attachments. I think it just rounds out that song. It just fills it so much more. An unfinished 1348 goes off on its own slightly before three and a half, starting out like a dream sequence opening in a show. And then they dance along and slide quite nicely into similar skin. Higgins coming up next. This one being one of the big highlights, I believe, from the show. A little birthday song from the Beatles before going into it, um, of course, for Chris Meyer's birthday that day. This version is a perfect example of why you can never doubt Higgins. This one starts to lay down the path toward its adventure slightly before three and a half in and opening more and more as it continues on. And this section here, until eight minutes into Higgins, sounds very familiar to the jam nestled inside of Dejunk from October 5th, 2018 at the Sylvie in Madison, Wisconsin, specifically from 3.20 to 8.20 in that Dejunk, those five minutes. Um, I'm going to link that song in the show notes. Listen to both of them. And let me know what you think. Email the show on freakparentspodcast at gmail.com. And let me know what you think. Um, Am I crazy? Am I hearing the same thing? Um, Please let me know. I love to talk about this stuff with you guys. Um, Then at about eight minutes in that Higgins, stepping right into honky-tonk rock and roll, ho-dancing along for a few minutes, and then bringing that to a stop before going into Higgins. The floor and the conclusion of 1348 to close out this set. And an encore was Hurt Birdbath, starting the first part of its journey at about three minutes, building back into Hurt Birdbath only two minutes later, but then venturing off again slightly after three minutes, romantically dancing along. And then it starts to get sneaky at first, but then more aggression and authority to it. It changes and continues to grow larger and larger. And if you've ever seen Fantasia, there's this one scene with this giant gargoyle. And it's just like growing and it just becomes this massive monster. And then it starts to wreak havoc on the little town below, like throwing lightning bolts and all this crazy shit. And that is exactly what I think of when I hear Hurt Birdbath. Google that. Look that up because I'm telling you that scene right there, just that intensity of this monster growing and then just, you know, slamming all this stuff onto the little town below. Just the aggression in that. That's exactly what I envision every time I hear this. 
they slam it back into the ending of her bird bath and it's just an absolutely perfect choice to put on this set anyways and then having it in the encore position is so smart the last thing that people hear from Umphreys McGee at the festival is this massive song definitely sure to leave an impression on anyone seeing the band for the first time so that's all I have for this episode of the podcast. Anything that I reference throughout the show can be found in the show notes as well as the set list for the shows discussed and where you can listen to them. And I'd love for you to check out the show's website. That information is in the show notes as well. There's a blog on the site, advertising information, where you can find any info about upcoming meetups and one convenient place where you can find all of the podcast episodes. Any questions or comments about anything talked about in this show or any other episode, please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys and listening to your stories about Umphreys or the knowledge that you guys have. And even if you have any information about podcasting, I'm still learning as I go with this. So any tips or tricks or ideas are much appreciated, always looking for advice. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Much obliged.